Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation was with two new friends called East Forest and John Hopkins, both of which are phenomenal musicians. East Forest, I was originally turned on to from his album with Ram Das. Ram Das, as many of you may know at this point, is someone that I have been studying from and learning from and just greatly appreciative of for a long time. And I reference him quite a bit in the podcast and his album with East Forest was just unbelievable. So I highly recommend checking that out in general. And then John Hopkins is a world-renowned musician uh, and producer. He has contributed and produced with the likes of Coldplay and Imogen Heap and many, many more. Uh, both of these musicians together have been uh, working on some music to assist in psychedelic therapy. So a really amazing combination of human beings venturing into the worlds of psychedelic therapy. And that's what we talk about in this conversation. Uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I'd also like to share something that we've been working on for a while. It is the six-week Align Method online program. It is presently on discount. And if you guys are interested in getting some gains in your mobility uh, and integrating greater awareness into uh, how to strengthen your body, how to mobilize your body, how to align and integrate your body in daily life, that's really the heart and soul of the program. It gets into some breathwork practices, gets into some mindfulness practices, gets into lifestyle stuff, uh, and really is a breakdown nuts to bolts of how to mobilize your joints from feet up to your top of your, well, I say your head, but your neck, your wrists, all the way through the body, and then how to get all that stuff working together. Uh, you can find that over at alignpodcast.com slash method. That's alignpodcast.com slash method. presently on sale. So you can check that thing out. And if you don't absolutely love it, it's not supportive in your life, hit us back and we'll give you 100% money back guarantee. No questions asked. I also want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Element, for supporting this podcast. If you struggle to drink enough water daily, I have a solution. Add a packet of Element into your water and sip on throughout the day. Element is an electrolyte powder that is absolutely delicious and contains zero sugar or artificial sweeteners. Unlike most flavored drink powders, both sugar and artificial sweeteners are going to cause inflammation and because of that, I don't include them in my diet. But I do like adding some flavor in my water to encourage me to drink more. Plus, it's just delicious. So it keeps my electrolyte levels in balance, which in turn helps my muscle recovery slash soreness after a workout. And guess what? You can try Element absolutely free. You can receive a free Element sample pack, including eight packets, two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, two unflavored, by heading over to drinklmnt.com slash align. Still is not available on the regular website, so go to drinklmnt.com forward slash align. You can get yourself a free sampler pack of LMNT. I really love this stuff. I genuinely drink it every single day. I have put a, a packet of it in my water before I go to the gym literally every day. I dig the stuff. I love Rob Wolf, the founder. I trust the sourcing of the product. I think it's great. Get yourself a free sample pack over at drinklmnt.com slash alive. And that's it. That's all. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And I think you guys are also going to devour this podcast episode. All right, let's get to it. Thank you guys so much for making time to do this. And I would say you both are uh, 
pivotal forces in healing culture. I've now at this point listened to, I mean, music's informed, I think, everyone's lives so much more than more than we would even give credit to in general. Like it's, it's always perfusing our worlds, whether we realize it or not, and the worlds of our parents and our teachers. And like it's so deeply entrenched in who we are. So even if you think you're not a musician or musically inclined, like you still are music. Yeah, it's true. And from as early as I can remember, music was the thing that as a child crying, that was the thing my mum would put on to keep me quiet, put on Beethoven. Apparently that was my thing when I was like one year old. And I even and remember like some of my earliest memories, uh, we had quite big speakers in the lounge of my house. My dad bought these things and I can remember even then being able to sort of see sound. Like, like not, synesthetically? Not quite like that. More a closed eye thing, but, you know, certain instruments had certain shapes and it's just always been like that. So something physical, something dimensional was happening. How do you experience that now? It's kind of the same. Uh, imagery in a sense? In a way, but not uncontrollably. So it's just, it's a way, it's almost like a piece of music is a room, a dimensional space, and it's easy to place things within that, which is actually kind of how it is once you... Do you feel synesthetic about music? Like I know Pharrell says he does. So, do, so by that, do, does that actually mean that, say... Pharrell, does he see colors for Yeah, sounds? that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. So that shifting senses in a sense. That's what he says. That's what he says. It sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, I would enjoy that, but that yeah. isn't what happens. It's more of a, it's really hard to explain. I've not heard anyone else put it any better because they haven't been me. But basically it's as if sounds are shapes. And yeah, I don't know. Do you think that's a special gift to you that's informed your process as a musician? Or do you think anyone has access to that? I'm sure lots of people do. Um, I, th I think it's probably a musician thing as in particular, but I'm sure lots of other people have a similar thing. I just haven't heard it described, but it, it's what I've always used to navigate, like how to mix and place sounds. So, and it, I equate it with, because I have perfect pitch, so I can, I can tell you what note things are and play along with things without having practiced and things like that and that was all there from birth it wasn't something that came in so there is something in the brain that's for some reason able to identify pitch in some people and do you have perfect pitch with like chordal structures like if i played a whole chord you could go just be like this is the chord if it was a chord that was reasonable <laughs> if it was a chord that was highly unreasonable with loads of loads of yeah. clusters it would take me a little while to figure it out but like if it's a you know a recognizable chord yeah i could definitely do mm. that Wow. But I feel like you can do that too. Earlier you were I, I, I can playing. I can find it, but I noticed you can like, if I play a note or sing a note, you could say that's an F sharp. Yeah. yeah I'd yeah. be guessing. I could find it on the keyboard very quickly. Yeah. That's different. But it is weird that some brains just, and I don't call it a skill. It's not something I learned and it's not something that I, you know, had to fight for in any way. I just, it's it's like saying that's red. You know, I just know it's A. So that must drive you crazy if you were on a keyboard and you hit a transpose button you're playing but it's playing different notes yeah i can't i'd, I'd play the wrong notes it's would, totally I, i'd adapt up. but it would be very difficult yeah wow but you yeah that's not normal i wonder <laughs> that's, or that's is, exceptional i should say so you guys come at music from such a, a more like intrinsic mathematic like you're like deeply entrenched in the, the mechanics and the structure of building music whereas i'm not at all so i love just hearing you guys going back and forth and just like talking shop but at the end of the day i think it's it's totally about feeling I yeah. mean, it, uh, yes there are mechanics to it for sure but it's like you've been saying how you can't explain necessarily the process other than you just kind of do it mm. and i vibe that too because there just sort of unfolds by like 
there was this great line that some writer had, like, when does inspiration strike? It's like at 10 a.m. when I sit down to write every day. It's yeah. like, you just have mm-hmm. to show up. And I mean, some days are better than others, but it's not like, oh, I've learned certain things and now therefore I can make a piece in a certain way. It just kind of does its thing. It's a kind of repetition in a way. Yeah, yeah and I would echo that. I think like the idea of being taught composition. I went to music college at the weekends when I was a teenager, like at the same time as regular school. And the piano lessons were amazing because I really believed that being taught finger technique is not something... You know, I'm generally an autodidact in music, but when it comes to piano, you, you need someone to show you how to train your muscles in your hand. You know, it's like training, in, it's, it's, it's more of a physical thing in a way. I didn't get that, but I wish I did. It's useful because I when I improvise be. on the piano, I can do things I wouldn't have been able to do. But when, when I went to the composition lessons, I was just like, this is, this is not for me because I want to just try and fail and try and fail and obviously that's how you write music you just make as much of it as you can and after several decades hopefully it becomes quite you comes to your thing yeah the lens that i'm really interested with with music is how it affects us and mental emotional level and a cellular yeah. level and the way that we you know the way that we produce ourselves like mm. a sound comes on in the room there could be a, a bang something somebody could drop a glass and could break Mm. And that would be a, a sound that you can incorporate into some symphony or soundtrack, or whatever it would be, and it would invoke a sensation. Mm. And so your cells would shift, and cortisol would spike, and norepinephrine, and your amygdala would do a thing, and like your whole body mm. contorts to essentially fit that sound, mm. which I just think is so cool that yeah. you're able to you're able to DJ people's endocrinology with the way that you're producing <laughs> your different you know levels of music. Yeah, and. That's cool. Hey, being a drug pusher of sorts, it's, it's like, completely that. We are made of drugs. <laughs> There's no avoiding that. I don't, I, don't, I don't do drugs. I am drug. I mean, I do drugs as well, but... <laughs> I both do and am. All day long. All of it. <laughs> both do and am and will. <laughs> but I wonder within that, I wonder, uh, is that something you notice with things like just the tone and pitch of someone's voice? Do you hear that as music? And do you hear it in... in I've noticed that with... like I. If I take a strong dislike to someone's voice, it's often a sign to me perhaps that we won't get on. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and and like in particular romantic relationships, I have to be attracted to the voice as much as, and I'm sure that's the speaking voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I'm I don't demand a level of singing. <laughs> like, uh, I will not accept hear, anything less than full opera, yeah. full opera training. <laughs> no, just I have to really love the sound, you know, because I'm a very auditory. That would be amazing, though, if you made them sing like a Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and they yeah. finish, you're like, this isn't going to work. not going to work. This is not going to work. I actually had that one time I was in a, I was doing a ballet thing. I did, I've done two ballets, no big deal. And uh, <laughs> one time they, they had me in, in front of the class yeah. sing some song to see if I could like have the chops to like sing. It's pretty embarrassing. Tough experience. I think I sing like twink, like Happy Birthday. Happy Birthday is a different song class to sing. Of, yeah, people it's, were in tutus yeah. the whole thing. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good experience. It's challenging. Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it was tough. Are you okay? I'm recovering. <laughs> I could feel my sphincters clench up a little bit as I was telling that story. So still, there's there, clearly there's still some trauma with it. So with within that, I think it's the fact that we are always we're we're like tuning each other with sound essentially. Mm. You know, and and I, I think that culturally people are you know maybe I can only speak for myself. I spend a lot of time in my my head, you know, I think probably most people probably resonate with that that concept. And there's something about music, it's almost acts as like this bridge into the Mm -hmm. subconscious. Mm -hmm. And then you get all this information behind that. I wonder, do you guys have any tools or practices or something that's 
been resourceful or supportive for you to open yourself up into that place to allow like the music to come through as opposed to forcing, forcing yeah. the message yeah for me it was i mean my the various things that are in my daily practice have helped most i mean transcendental meditation i would credit as the single most important thing in freeing up the process of letting go like letting go of control whilst at the same time having the skill to control it when you need to it's a complicated thing to explain but that's how i feel about it now and, and something about the openness that follows a meditation like that I always notice that, so after I finish TM and just immediately just play something on the piano, it's the first thing that comes out will be something that, you know, you could do an A-B situation, like let's record something without that and then after that, and you would hear the difference and something about connecting or transcending in that time. And then, of course, all the all the different psychedelics have enormous effects on really inspiration and the connection to, to forces greater than yourself. And I think, like, keeping going back to that as often as possible psychedelics but just the the general thing of things bigger than yourself being being open to those things coming into the music that's for me the sort of primary way i would say what do you think it is about the psychedelics because there's a lot of brilliant musicians that have used and not used psychedelics yeah and i I know some people who make the most psychedelic music and art who've never touched a single one i think there are some people that don't need it and some people that benefit from it and you know i've I've always sought that kind of experience. My consciousness has always been curiousness. I, I, like I would always, even from from a teenager, first discovering cannabis and going quite deep into that. It's like this is definitely something I am interested in and like opened whole worlds to me. Whereas I know people that just sat there and made that stuff without it. And I'm kind of at peace with the fact that you know some people need it, some people don't. I think almost now, actually, as I retreat a little bit from from the stronger ones, that um, it's like the message is in there enough. I've had enough of those experiences that it kind of comes out anyway. And I think, again, going back to TM, I think that reinforces that. Yeah. Just that connection, you know, the inner connection that, that Ram Das talks about on our track. Yeah. I wonder what you, how do you guys inform each other's music? I'm sure both of you probably see each other as... I'm self-conscious when you say that. I could speak about at length, but he, you know, informs mine. But like... Um, I'm sure you guys are informing, maybe maybe in other ways outside of just strictly production of music, but I'm sure you guys are informing each other. Yeah, we are. I mean, we, you know, we made a piece of music together that, that I absolutely love and it wouldn't exist exactly as it is without all the elements that we both brought. You know, it was a true union of styles and sounds. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that it exists. It's amazing. You, I guess you can't not influence any time you're throwing things into the ring together. Mm. So, But it's cool too, like you recognize... Like anytime you just get deeper in any artist's world, musician or otherwise, it rubs off on you, right? And so what was really interesting on this was like, like I knew John's music before I knew John. So I see it from the outside and it has that influence. But when you see it from the inside, where I basically is like, I mean, what, what a treat to say, here's an element and it's my voice in this case. And then he goes from the back door back into like what I used to hearing. And I'm like, oh, that's how some of those things happen. It's like, yeah. it's so illuminating for me and, and so cool. And I get to learn like kind of how the sausage is made a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's funny how that expression, because it's quite an amazing, it's, it's a very <laughs> useful expression, but simultaneously it's extremely unpleasant. It's like my, it's like my, <laughs> like my car my car apparently smells like sausage i was going to say though it's not as simple as like you follow a certain (laughs) recipe and then you get the result because it's not you know it's an art that's ineffable but it was illuminating and just amazing to see that process by being a part of it i guess is my point because then you really get to see it from another angle that is i mean 
it's priceless really yeah. to do that and even if we were just friends and you still might not have that experience of like having that creative angle yeah. and th that really is a unique opportunity because i have many friends i'm musician friends with that are musicians and we just haven't had the opportunity or would to, to work like that what do you think you've learned from east well, so I first encountered his music in 2018 and through, so I'd been um, helping out advise on the playlist for the Imperial College London we're using for psilocybin trials for depression. My friend, Dr. Rosalind Watts invited me to uh, maybe, you know, consult a little bit on things that could be included. And she'd included one of Krishna's tracks and Krishna and Easter synonymous. Yes. By the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> many for options for names. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking of before meeting you, it's like, what, what name should I? I think that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just as if you had a band name, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It'd be cool if your band name was Johns Hopkins, just to yeah. really fuck with people. That would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a thought for the future. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I heard I heard his, this track on the playlist and it, was, it really stood out because it had a great deal of, rawness and personality and it had a wolf on it as well which i was super into like right at the end and i love field recordings and i was deeply evocative and so when we started working together we were introduced by a mutual musician friend and and we started working on this track and i just asked him to send me a bunch of things basically just start something because i think that's a great way in a collaboration to start without much thought and um well, not much thought on my part anyway. You had to do the work at the beginning and then he planted the seed for this track with this incredible vocal harmonies that were sitting in in what he'd made and i just kind of ran with that you know and, and that's kind of it all flowed from that really it wouldn't it wouldn't sound anything like it without the, the exact notes you chose to sing on that day were responsible for the piano that then followed so it really was like a seed and everything grew from that well i remember you took it into the studio and i just got like a text that said very 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 good day in the studio oh is like, that what i said <laughs> thank god <laughs> and you basically had the track you know, yeah, I think full it, shape. it kind I mean, of appeared small in, changes after that. Yeah, it kind of appeared on day one. So the vocals in my head and then Ramdas speaking and then playing along with the, with the talk and this in, interspersing piano chords around what he was saying in a way that was like trying to strike a balance between they didn't want it to sound like he knew they were coming or, you know, that it was like some actual active duet, but just you know, where is there room for something and just like trusting intuition on that. Did you have a relationship of sorts with the work of Ramdas or Ramdas personally at all? So, so not personally, no. And I, so I first heard of him in, well, I mean, I don't know, maybe some time ago, but I was bought a copy of Be Here Now about six, seven years ago. And I had it by my bed for years, you know, this whole time actually. Um, and that was one of the amazing things about this project is that we got to animate the pages of that book for the video. Yeah, and, and it I, turned out to so be the dope. 50th anniversary of the book, Yeah, which I didn't know. And then right. he did this track, Sit Around the Fire, and then you do the video and they animate the book. It just becomes like this beautiful celebration of... It's amazing how that works. that book, probably, I'm sure that was my doorway in to Ram Dass originally. And I yeah. know Farada was the same. And a lot of people, that book was yeah. powerful. You mentioned, what, what did you mention in relation to music and depression? Is there... Yeah, so that was, um, so in, in, you know, much like at Johns Hopkins University over here in London, we have Imperial College doing similar trials using psilocybin to treat severe treatment resistant depression. And obviously the, the playlist used for that is really important. And that kind of experiencing like, helping out with what goes on that and we've Krishna and I have talked about this quite a lot it's just made me realize that it would be amazing just to have a unified body of music for the whole of an experience rather than 
80 different musicians for one person's you know trip so i think that was possibly subconsciously the genesis for this this album yeah what do you think it is about music itself that's so potent with guiding a person's both psychedelic journey and just life journey in general but it becomes more overt under it becomes massively 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 enhanced to the point yeah on ketamine you become the music and dmt this the music shapes the room you're you enter or the space you enter i don't know i it, all i know is that it's inherent in humans like you said at the beginning like we are for some reason encoded to make and listen to and love music and sound and there's even separate neurons in the auditory cortex that process music really? outside of like conversation really? and such that's fucking cool so, it, it is know that. why that's there and and you just yeah. think about what music is and it's like in this whole universe of duality, we have basically ratios of tones, of frequencies, of, of waves, and then rhythm, which is like playing with time. Mm. And you put the two together and you have music. And what's even crazier, and you think about a basic piano, like one scale, those 12 notes, and more or less every song we've ever heard has been written on those 12 notes, which is even crazier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just playing with patterns. Of, yeah. And for some reason, like clearly our voice is sound it's a kind of music it's how we convey ideas and that even translates to how we identify with our personalities with our running monologue in our head it's a kind of sound but it's a thought but we're talking in our heads so in some ways our whole world is sound and it's even encoded into things like our mystery stories like god spoke mm. or the big bang or you know, yeah it's like it's this is a kind of reverberation quite literally of some original mm. sound and all the different little fractal uh, harmonies and overtones of it. And so it, it really is like asking a fish what water is. It, it, it's so everywhere in our life that it's, it's difficult to really recognize what its role and power is because it's so disparate. And even music today is more popular and present because of things like Spotify sure. on this planet than it's ever been. And we don't even step back to like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Like there's 40, six, 40 to 60,000 songs a day out of just to Spotify alone let alone India and China and the other platforms. And what is that all about? Like, why are we making so many songs? <laughs> like, yep. Why? Yeah. And why do we enjoy them? We always want more and more. But I think, I think it's the modern equivalent of the fact that every single night sitting around the fire in yep. a tribal community, people would, people, someone would start drumming yes. away. Maybe it's, someone would have a It's a, a kind flute. of communal connection back then, yeah. expression. So yeah. maybe that's the piece that we forget is how it brings yeah. us together. It was always there, I think, and this is our version of that. And it's a little bit more isolating now because everyone's into different things and there's headphones and there's, you know, everyone's in their but own being houses, a fan but... of something is a way of having a tribe. Yes, in a way, and going to know. shows. It's so nice to be able to go to shows again and to, to perform again and do things, you know, do things with shared energies, shared resonance, people. And yeah, it's, it's just for some reason, like, that's so cool. I didn't know that there were specific neurons that were there for that. Yeah, I think I think music, the human body has these certain mechanical, physiological symptoms or expressions when it when it feels away, like the like the composition of tears is vastly different than that of like if you chopped an onion up. There's all these hormones and all this stuff in tears if you're like really crying, you know, or you, you feel sad. And so you look at somebody just the way that you would, you know, it's like a fish in, in water. We're just like, it's water. It's a sound everywhere. Someone cries or laughs. You're like, yeah, cool person crying, laughing, totally normal. But that's the body expressing out these various different, you know, hormones and chemicals. And it's, it's going through its process. 
And I think that naturally human beings and, and probably other, not probably, definitely other animals as well, are attracted to making different sounds as kind of a part of that laughing and that crying and that expressing and that processing of their story. And then it comes out into audible language and then it literally becomes a story. I think it's, a, I think it's actually like a, a, it's literally, it's like a physiological healing tool. And then if you strip that away from culture and then it becomes, you know, this is actually a question I had for both of you. What are your thoughts of the transition away from analog into digital music, if that's even the right terminology? Personally, I think I, I embrace both things. For me, like I'm, I started making music when digital was already prevalent. So I started on a computer and digital synthesis was already there. And I've never been in, I've never recorded bands or anything. So I haven't had so much engagement with analog, but until I... I think in movies about 10 years ago, I started working with some analog synths and synths that were made around the year I was born, in fact. An album I made in 2013 called Immunity, like heavily focused on one synth that was made in 1979, the MS-20, Korg MS-20, which is a beautiful thing. It's quite small and like ferocious sounding. And it was, it, you know, it was the dominant sound of the lead track of that album. So I'm into the fusion of the analog and digital I think and, and a lot of my sounds um, particularly on this new record are they start with analog sources so I'll play a piano and then just affect it you know process it and do all kinds of weird things to it sonically and that's a fusion of analog and digital as well yeah is it Jack White he's the lead singer of mm -hmm. White Stripes or whatever that was was it was it it was yeah yeah he paraphrasing something that he said in relation to the the analog digital transition something along the lines of when analog you're getting more information you're getting like a hundred percent of the sound whereas you go into digital you're getting you know a very small fraction of it it's all kind of pieced together yeah and from and i'm sure i'm butchering all this i have no idea what i'm talking about you know so help me at any point but what he suggested was that people it's like stressful for people at a subconscious level because they subconsciously have to fill in all this space as opposed to receiving like the whole food version of the sound yeah and you can experience that you know if you listen to a live musician mm. and you like feel it like hit you in the stomach or the face or the heart or mm. you know wherever you're like oh you know that's that sensation that would be the whole analog experience yeah. whereas if you play that same song digitally it's a, it seems the same but it's it's different yeah but that in that implies that it has to remain analog from start to finish of the chain so if you listen to a white stripes album on a cd it is digital which means it can be replicated in ones and zeros and it's it, it's also a lot to do with genre because a, a kind of a punky rock band yeah definitely i wouldn't use any if i was recording that band i wouldn't use anything digital either i would be like tape machines and but I mean, I think this kind of genre that we both work in of electronic music, it's it embraces what's possible with both. And the other thing that's changed, possibly changed even since he said that is that the quality of digital recording is now up to such a level that it yeah. it captures all those over. So what what he's talking about, the things that possibly would get cut out are called overtones and harmonics and frequencies that are perhaps more things that you feel than things that you can hear. Now the digital world has advanced to the point where you can in fact capture all of that stuff and, and there are in fact there are software add-ons that almost reduce that again because we want it to sound yeah i mean less. it's kind of at this moment in time a pretty beautiful hybrid yeah and almost everyone's in a hybrid situation because it's so good now yeah that like the emulations are incredible it's still fun and a lot of people use analog gear and i do but just to say that like the digital really has gotten so good that it's kind of like 
crazy. It, I think the main reason if you wanted to go full analog is more you like the process. And it, it does create a lot of limitations, but also a lot of cost. I think Jack White Studio, they have like straight to lathe, like you're recording straight to record. That is traditional. Which that is, is like, I mean, there's no, you're mixing that yeah. live. That's it. And that's, that's an old school process. But, um, you know, I think we like to manipulate and there's so many cool things you can do now. And a lot of them emulate old school techniques. Jack Studio also has a radio transmitter, like a really low level mm. FM so he can check his mixes in the car. I heard, <laughs> which, you know, it's got to work in the car over FM. I like the fact that, yeah, because a lot of people used to burn CDs to test in the car, right. but to actually transmit it to your car. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty it's cool. like <laughs> a certain degradation of the audio over yeah. FM. He's got to see if it's yeah. got that touch. But then that's already digital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard, like, there's value in everybody. There's value in old people, value in, in young people. And old people can teach young people the things that don't change, and young people can teach old people the things that do. Mm. And I wonder if there's some relationship between that digital and analog. Mm. I'm still in question of whether there's like a more whole food version of sound mm. versus like a supplemental. Real life. I mean, that's the Yeah, difference. acoustic like, in a room with like, someone. That's... There's nothing like seeing someone perform in a room versus a recording. What do you think it is it's about the energy. That. I think there's an actual yeah. energy transference yeah. like that's beyond just the sound. It's... What does that mean? Like I can feel you in this room. I can't explain what it is, but yeah, I can so feel. feel like I can feel everybody in this room. Yeah, you smell like sausage. You don't feel like sausage. Just beef jerky. <laughs> I don't know you well enough to feel you and <laughs> to d detect whether you feel like sausage or not. <laughs> but I—that's why I think like. Uh, we were talking about Peter Broderick earlier yeah. and he had a funny line where I was telling, we were talking about AI produced music and he said he, he thought he could give those robots a run for their money. And I was like, but I think he's right. Like it may be at some point in the future, AI creates recordings that are interesting, but you'll never have that replaced in a live space. You just never will. I think it's a human desire and condition to want to see another human being and see something created in front of them that's ephemeral and shared in the room that's been happening forever it will continue to happen forever yeah if anything like, we want that more as we move forward I, I totally agree with that last statement and and all the previous ones but basically i so i'm a dj as well and i sometimes play raves and that's one of the reasons i'm over here in america to play some like quite big kind of dance music shows and that is an area that could could easily already you could you could feed in the kind of things i dj to a, some sort of AI and it could probably produce a set quite similar with different artists, different tracks, whatever. But people just, they do want to see a performance and it, yeah, you could replace everything with robots, but what would be the fucking, what's the point? Because <laughs> 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 we still want to see people do things and we want to feel them do things and we want to, yeah, we want to have like a shared, a communal shared experience of music and uh, yeah, a robot up there is not gonna, it's the reason it hasn't taken off, definitely doable already, no question. I want to take a moment and share about a thing that I have become incredibly addicted to in the best way possible. That is Eaton Hemp's seeds. They aren't like normal hemp seeds. They have an unbelievably delicious crunch that I love to add on top of my smoothies and my salads and all sorts of other food products. Hemp seeds contain all essential amino acids, which is rare for plant-based foods. Plus, hemp seeds are a great source of omega-3s, which helps to reduce inflammation and keep it in check, which is why they are one of the foods I eat quite regularly. Eaton Hemp is proudly USDA organic and third-party lab tested, so you can rest assured it is grown in the finest soil 
free of toxins, pesticides, and heavy metals. Grab your own bag now by heading over to eatonhemp.com slash align. That's E-A-T-O-N-H-E-M-P dot com slash align. Use the code align, A-L-I-G-N, for 20% off. Once again, that's eatonhemp.com slash align. You have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you do not love the flavor, it does not make you feel great after eating them, um, and it's just not your bag, then get your money back. So no risk and lots of delicious reward. Go to eatonhemp.com slash align. I'd also like to thank Bio Optimizers. Did you know many of us eat a diet that contains practically no magnesium? Over 80% of the population don't get the minimum amounts of the types of magnesium they need from diet alone because the soil in the United States is greatly lacking it. Did you also know getting enough magnesium drastically improves the quality of your sleep and helps you fall asleep faster? No wonder many of us struggle to sleep at night when only 20% of us are getting enough magnesium daily. Here's the thing. If you're supplementing with magnesium, most magnesium supplements only contain one to two forms of magnesium. Plus, most supplements you grab on the grocery store shelves are synthetic and unable to properly be absorbed by your body. This is not the case with magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers and why it's the magnesium I prefer to take. For an exclusive offer for my listeners only, go to magbreakthrough.com slash podcast and use the code align10 to save 10% when you try magnesium breakthrough that's m-a-g-b-r-e-a-k-t-h-r-o-u-g-h.com slash align podcast and use the code align 10 to save 10 percent off of your order and one more thing for a limited time by optimizers is also giving away free bottles of their best-selling products p3om and mass zymes with select purchases only while supplies last so hurry and order now if you want to get some free gifts worth over $50. That's magbreakthrough.com slash podcast. Get yourself 10% off and a chance to win $50 worth of supplements. All right, back to the podcast. When you are DJing like a massive crowd, are you orchestrating? Are you in real time reading what they're doing is like a is like a whole organism no I'm, I, or are you kind of in your own you got your sound and you're just going to do what you do yeah some so, so i mean i'm not I, i've only been djing for about five five or six years it wasn't my primary type of performance some djs read the room and adapt i'm more of a sort of right i'm going to lead this and you're going to come this way <laughs> that's yeah. just that's just the type of dj i am so then it's up to me to do that really well so that it works i'm not saying i succeed but that is what i aim to do it's like this is because also I think people that come, if you're not, if you didn't start out as a DJ and you become a DJ later, people that come to see you DJ expect to hear the kind of thing that's in the same world as what you write. So they come for what I'm doing anyway. You know, they don't come for like a, a freak out jazz set or something. <laughs> One day, maybe. I'd <laughs> like to see that though. Are you the same with that? I don't DJ, but... When you're, playing, when you're playing to to an audience. It depends on the show. Like my performances range from true medicine ceremonies, which typically aren't like a public ticketed thing where it's a hundred percent improvised. And I don't see that as a performance. It's really just like you're there in service to just play from the heart and see what happens to some kind of set on the other end of the spectrum that is highly regimented on how long it needs to be and what that audience is and so forth. And maybe you need a very detailed set. And it's probably 90% what you planned. But I like it to have as much room in the moment to say like, you know, I'm really feeling like 
such and such wants to happen now maybe that's an improvisation or maybe that's like this song needs to be reinvented or this one should keep going and get bigger based on what's going on so i, I like to lean into that because i think then i'm meeting the moment as opposed to me enforcing the moment on the room but um to be honest i mean a lot of, i always have a set and i always rehearse and so what i'm trying to rehearse lately is that flexibility it's almost like don't play it exactly the same every time because then i'll just I'll just get up there and get nervous and just do it. And it's fine. That's good. But I know that like my edge is like, how free can I get? And I played a concert. It's the one I sent you. It was just for friends. So maybe that's why the freedom is there. But I was more nervous because it was just a few friends in a room, this beautiful piano. And I had no plan. But that's what I wanted to try. And so it was this weird mixture of a performance or a ceremony. I don't know. And I just played for a while. And it, and all I asked them, I said, if you could please just give me your attention fully, I really will feel like that will help me feel safe to just what I might fall on my face here. I was afraid it would be incredibly boring or I would, I don't know. And it felt really in this pocket of just flow. And where does that come from? I felt like it came from them because when I was rehearsing for it, it was not flowing. It just felt like, like, I don't know. I'm, there's something about that when you open yourself up, you know, but that that's not always what's called for, but when it can, it can be magic. What you played at the end of the concert the other night, he did an improvisation that he didn't know he's going to do. And he probably just said, I'll, I'll just play and see what happens. But I was there and it really felt the same thing. Like everyone mm. was just feeding him and it was six minutes of just magic it was a really amazing experience actually because i haven't played piano in front of anyone since last show at sydney opera house january 2020 <laughs> that was like and i went on stage with no plan i played 20 minutes of piano improvisation and then went into the, the techno stuff and did it feel and when it locks in like that it's an amazing it's, feeling yeah I mean, I've, I've just it's funny because like i I was sort of traumatized when it came to piano playing because I did this classical training and I did some big concerts as a 16-year-old and I got super freaked out by the level of stress that came with that. And I didn't play in front of a didn't play the piano in front of an audience from age of 16 to about 30. Which really? is really sad. Yeah. And then I gradually started to bring it back into occasional shows when there was one there. And then I decided to fully embrace it again in, in the last few years and I've done lots of piano stuff and then last night it was just yeah, it was just like it felt like such a safe, receptive audience after, you know, your set and, and my album was played and everyone was just, you know, they were right there with us and it just felt so safe to just go on. And, and yeah, so I really feel like that came from everyone. You could feel it. It felt yeah, like it was feeding you. It's amazing. And that shows the role of the audience. Yeah. And th that concert was in the round. So people are in these concentric circles and it was, it kind of inherently its structure of it is is sort of saying to people like you you have a role in this and you're feeding energy into the stage as opposed to your traditional proscenium where people are in the audience and you, someone's on the stage is a separation and it i like this idea of active participation as the listener like what does it mean to actively listen mm. versus to passively listen which is almost like a victim listening versus like a participant listening and I would never want someone to describe the, the experience of our, one of our shows as a, I'd describe it as victim listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not the best choice of words, but um, anyway, I thought it was... It was a victim of his first recent let, concert. Let me make it a, a more positive. It was a kind of invitation yeah, that, yeah, that was set in the room, and people, I think they naturally meet the moment because they want to. They want something deeper. They just have to know, how do we how do, we do this? I think sometimes it's interesting you... Krishna, 
that you are you're like you're unapologetic about demanding attention. <laughs> I'm just needy that way. Yeah, that's fine. You're a musician. I, I, but I, think I it's get. Good. I get very. It's. I mean, look, I've gone through some really horrible shit over the years when I was starting out. I really had to hustle and like I had to learn the hard way what I needed. And, you know, I've, I've had to deal with all the stuff and it can be one person in the room right in front of you with their back turned to you drunk on their phone. And there's hundreds yeah. of other people. And now it's just like an energy drain, you yeah, know, and you just want it. And I've said sometimes like I really, you know, it's like you could kick someone out. Or be like, you know, I, I've seen it happen. Shows I've attended to. They like somebody like you need. They stop a show. Like you need to go. I'm not performing to this person. Like leaves and they kick him out. And it's sort of like I think there's a fierceness that needs to be demanded for like I need some basic thing. It's basic and mm -hmm. it's crazy that we have to ask for that these days. But I find that you know almost everyone's just 100 percent down. It's like yeah, it's again stage, it's an yeah. invitation. It's something you have to earn that for sure. But what's well, like you're integrating the body. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to be come into the space and have people say like you know we can go a little deeper it's like when you invite people in a room you have to say like this is what we're going to do otherwise people like stay in certain guarded spaces and so when i sort of start out and kind of set the stage so to speak to say like this is what maybe we could do together and like i think it helps them step into that space i get the sensation sometimes going to some type of like show or presentation i'll have this underlying itch of like I would like to perform. You know, I would like to, to dance. I want to like do something. You do your ballet thing. I want to do my ballet thing, tutu. you know, or embarrass myself <laughs> singing in front of all the, the, the girls. <laughs> but I think it's such an interesting perspective that feels reassuring in a way that we're all a part of the broader body. And just because you're not the mouthpiece in the moment doesn't mean that you're not supportive or a, a conduit of sorts or some, you know, some some resource for that the sound that comes out. And so as an audience to be that I think that's a really important differentiation, like an active audience member versus passive or, you know, a, a, a victim. <laughs> I love that. I'm so sorry. No, don't, don't be sorry. It's funny. <laughs> no, I get it. No, I get it though. But that's an. I think it's like everyone doesn't need to be an entrepreneur. Everyone doesn't need to be a CEO. Everyone doesn't need to be the boss. Everyone, you know. But we have these mixed messages in society that's like you got to be the king. You got to be the boss. And it's like no, you don't. Mm. You know, like you you need to be. You don't need to be anything really. Sometimes you just need to be held. Yeah, you just need a hug, yeah. man. Just need you a know? hug. You just sometimes <laughs> you just need a nice cold beer and a hug. <laughs> I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> How has music been supportive for you on an emotional level? Jeff? I think it's more like I need it to survive. And I don't mean financially. I mean, like, it is absolutely crucial. We were talking about this earlier. Like, I, I had this realization that I can't not do it because that is how I make sense of things. So whatever is going on in my life or the bigger picture of the world, which, of course, has got increasingly hectic and dangerous, if I go in there and make something meaningful, something that sounds good, something that works, then I immediately start to f remember the bigger picture, to zoom out again and to feel good. It just gives me a boost of positivity, which I'm then able to, not just through the music, but just through my mood, then transmit to other people. And so, yeah, like it's, you know, this this album, this new album is, is really was my way of surviving. I mean, it's been something I've, I think, been building up to my whole life, for sure. It's definitely the deepest album I've made, but it was my way of surviving some of the hardest months of my life, you know, through a combination of a really difficult heartbreak with a global pandemic in the middle of winter and everything being shut and not being able to see anyone. It just saved me, you know, 
And there's so much light coming through that that now I get to share with people. So, you know, I, I've accepted the fact that I'm unusual in this way and I need certain things in order to be okay. And we all have our equivalents of that, but I'm kind of trying to love that about myself now and just go, you know what, that is my place here. That's what I'm primarily supposed to be doing. How do you gather yourself enough to come to the point to be able to produce something beautiful out of that? It just happens. That's where I, that's where it gets tricky to explain. I mean, there's obviously the meditation and, and the, there's things that are in my life, but I feel like it would just be happening anyway i just you know that, that's something that's been there since birth it just it just comes i have to do it i have to sit but there you're not play. waiting for inspiration to strike no 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 i mean it doesn't <laughs> for me regularity it's just, generally generally it's like i go into the studio and i play and i respond to the first sound i hear usually something or maybe i might be working with someone and record some guitar from someone and that will trigger something but you've got to do something or nothing will happen and as a rule all, there's very few exceptions occasionally as yeah like once or twice ever i'll have an idea in the street and i'll be like fuck i've got to get this down but generally it happens when i'm in there intentionally doing something and it doesn't really matter what time that is you didn't ask what time it was <laughs> just <laughs> 10 a.m <laughs> <laughs> have yeah. you gone through bouts such as that where you just feel completely worthless so that i think those, those are times when i don't when i'm really not doing anything I, some, one of the reasons like because i have a quite a conflicted relationship with touring because i do love elements of it and i love seeing it's amazing like played this festival called second sky uh, last weekend and hosted by this lovely guy called porter robinson who has a very dedicated fan base and and he curated the lineup and i'd been nervous i hadn't played for a year and a half and it was you know fifteen thousand people or something two nights and that was like leading up to that i was like have i still got what it takes to do this and i you know until i was on stage actually doing it yeah there are moments where you just feel like this is preposterous what am i doing here how did i ever get to this position and of course this is the roller coaster of touring when you come off stage you're like this is great <laughs> i need to keep doing this and you do you do you have like a high and a low and so for me the low is it's an anxious moment before performing um, <laughs> me too <laughs> yeah it's pretty normal i think it's just Rado, my, my partner and you know, she definitely knows the day, the day of or the day before, she's like, oh, that's what's going on. I'm like, mm. it's just kind of focusing in and everything feels a little bit like it's sucking energy and I'm just like, yeah. I can't, I'm just aware. But then it can be such a high afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> and that, the high afterwards is a dangerous thing and a great thing, but it leads you to want to stay up, basically, for me anyway. And I just want to like do things and meet people. I get in my most sociable after performing and my least sociable before. And before a show, I, you know, on my own tour, I'll always have like a quiet room, which just says quiet room on it. And I go in there for like an hour and I'll do my TM and sit quietly and do lots of very, very slow breathing. And I do not want to talk to anyone. Afterwards, I'm just like... Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Let's say hello to literally everyone we can. I think we're still on the high from. I mean, Actually, it's yeah, not yeah. quite been 24 hours. Yeah. I still feel it. Do you guys feel content? You feel like you're good? In life? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who feels like that all the time? I'm content. How, how often do you feel content? I, I mean, it's I, I kind of, for me, I've realized over the years that it's, it's momentary. It's about moments. And if I'm content, like I'm enjoying myself right now, so I'm content right now. Right. I enjoy my, I enjoy my, you know, I enjoy my food very much. You know, I enjoy my friendships, my relationships. I love getting in the sauna, getting in the cold. We we all did a nice bath this morning. Well, one of us didn't, but hey. <laughs> two of the three of us did, <laughs> did it yesterday. We have to bring the competitive okay. element into competitive wellness is my thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get lots of pleasures, but also, you know, I'm prone to anxiety like most people. And so I, I wouldn't call myself content all the time. But what I am aware of and inc infinitely grateful of is having a job which feels meaningful and feels, you know, some of the people I met after the 
show last night, there's some of the things they were saying about how the music's helped them over the years. You know, I've been doing this for releasing albums for 21 years now. So there's a lot of back catalogue and, and people, you know, they, they just beautifully express the way in which it's helped them. And that is the biggest honour. That's that's when it just feels like, yeah, fuck, yeah, I am content. Yeah. Does performing ever feel like a drug for either of you, like an addiction? I mean, D- DJing feels like an addiction for sure. Yeah. I could imagine that. I haven't done that. Yeah, but it really is, yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird because as I echo everything John just said, and it's also like you have to do the music because it's part of your mental health. Like you just kind of have to. So on one level, is it like a drug? Well, I mean, it's also just part of like something you have to do. And so it's deeply nourishing on one level. And when it becomes a career, the good of that is that in that way, it helps you continue to do it because you kind of need to, and yes. it's a day to day, but then that's also ends up helping you because you need to do it. I wonder like, well, if it wasn't my job, I know I need to do this. It would be harder to do in a way because maybe other things would be, so it's a real, it's a real privilege to be able to do it. And I recognize all the privilege I've had to allow me to be in this moment right now. And I, I mean, I can't say where the certain talents came from, just like John's perfect pitch and all his abilities. But I think what we can both be proud of is the discipline you put into it and what you do with it. It isn't easy to tour, for instance. It's fun at times, but it's a lot of hurrying up and waiting and mm. nervousness and incredible sacrifices in your life. And health and, yeah. Yeah, and your it's health. And, healthily. But there's an act, when you do meet how it affects even one person, that starts to feel like an act of service. Because, yeah, we are on a fundamental level doing it because we have to and it's like and that's like this you honor that fire that says I, ha- I have to do this because i feel really shitty if i don't but then it's so awesome that then that has some net benefit for one other person if not other many others that's a true gift yeah yeah you know and so i have contentment in that and i'm like well, thank god that like some gift that i'm able to uh, cultivate on any level can provide any kind of sustenance and then help even a few people is like I have to tell you, actually, I've been meaning to tell you this, but so I got a message quite soon after Sit Around the Fire came out and it was from an amazing woman in New Zealand who'd got in touch to say that her brother had died suddenly like a month ago from an undetected heart problem. And because of COVID, she hadn't been able to fly to Melbourne to go to the funeral. And she said she was very blunt and like beautifully kind of precise in what she said. She just said that she she hadn't really been feeling like life had any meaning. And then she heard that song and, you know, she just said, and now it just feels like there's a little meaning again. And it was a very unflowery, beautifully precise message, just conveying that. And wow, I should send it to you really. I mean, what what an amazing thing. Yeah, that's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. I mean, and if that's happening, you know, and a lot of people don't write those messages, they, they might just feel it. They might be having, there's all kinds of stories going on with, if, you know, with this music that we've both been making for ages that, that hopefully is, is doing some. Yeah, there's way more people that were probably on the edge of ending their lives that didn't tell you about it than, than did. Not sure. that that's I mean, the only thing that matters. It, it no, feels but like your influence and yeah. everyone's influence is so much vaster than what we than what we think. I think ju- I think just walking down walking down the street yeah. and looking at somebody in the eyes. Yeah, we're all we're, exactly we're all doing these dances together, and it's a recognition of that. I mean, it goes both ways with this co-conspiracy of awakening with with everyone we interact with. I don't know about you, but I feel like you finish a piece of music or an album and it's sort of like, let's say it's a little boat and you kick it out to sea and then it's sort of doing, it's doing its thing. And you hear these stories and it's beautiful to hear, but it's almost like being proud of a child. They're like, yeah, oh, I'm so glad yeah. it's out there affecting people. It's like, it's, I mean, I, I, I had my yeah. time with it and 
Yeah. It's doing its, it's life a transition, out there, that, which is yeah. beautiful that it's, it has its own life. I think it's interesting in relation to like the sensation of contentment or discontentment or the potential addiction that oftentimes surrounds um, musicians and artists and people that are up on stage and being just like, like all of the attention is being poured on that, that really legitimately becomes a drug for people. And it's an, it's an interesting thing, the conflation of the messages from somebody like Ramdas into the, the music sphere because it's almost like it's like water and oil in a way like that like that's his yeah. and he what was nice about him was i mean they blend perfectly together but that addictive part and you know the renunciation of the attachment to all of that stuff mm. that's kind of that's that's infused into everything that he's saying mm. meanwhile is being completely humble and real that he's a human being he goes through all the same stuff yeah but it's a it's a really fascinating blend. It's kind of like the analog and, and digital yeah. connection in a way. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah, never thought of it like that. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to share with each other? Share well, with- the album's called Music for Psychedelic Therapy, John's new album. And the song's called Sit Around the Fire that we've been referencing. Sit Around the Fire is currently out. And yeah. the album's November 12th. And I would also point people towards the video for Sit Around the Fire yes. on YouTube, which is... A thing of extraordinary beauty it's the animated pages of be here now it's just incredible so my album's out november the 12th and he also has an album called in which is coming out yeah uh, is this actually announceable i don't know it's called a soundtrack for the psychedelic practitioner i get it confused with each of our titles but they're basically <laughs> of the same intention to guide a psychedelic journey and we were just independently making these at the same time so it's a sign of the times. collective something, unconsciously something's in the yeah. air about yeah. maybe these things being needed as tools so how many hours is it it's two and it's a, sort of a follow-up to the music for mushrooms album which is five hours but we ended up testing this album unexpectedly in ketamine sessions a lot because rod is a ketamine therapist so we just sort of had this laboratory to test it on a regular basis with other people and it ended up, it was born out of psilocybin ceremonies, so it works great for that. But it also happens to work really well for ketamine. And John's music, I'm sure, works well for many medicines, but we know it works well for ketamine. Yeah, my, so mine was born through DMT experiences, but it's been primarily tested through ketamine by me. What do you mean born through DMT experiences? So the music is literally wouldn't sound anything like that without the DMT experiences I had. So I've had many of them over the last six years, and it's kind of stopped now. I don't. I don't feel the need anymore or the desire, to be honest. But there's a sound that I associate with the feeling of DMT, and that's what I've tried in my way to to bring onto this record. Mm. And when you hear the first track, if you've had DMT, there may be a part of you that goes, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the value. <laughs> one of like the many values of the artist in culture is to be able to go into those introspective meta invisible ineffable realms mm. and be able to interpret that into something that we can you know the rest of culture is able to chew on well yeah because interestingly if you were to try and describe the dnt experience with words you can you can get you can write some beautiful poetry but i feel like sound is better yeah. by a very 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 long way at depicting the ineffable ridiculous magic of that experience absolutely yeah. you could say yeah. the same thing about conversation you could just presence with somebody yeah you know, when you start getting wrapped up in the words, and I can even notice it in, in yeah. this conversation or yeah. any conversation, sometimes I'll get too sciencey or too wordy or too like, okay, I have my, my preformed, prefabricated concept or idea, and like, boom, and I'll like send that packet over to you or send that packet <laughs> over to you. And then, you know, you have your interpretation mm. of that packet. But I think collectively, you know, sounds and colors and art and all that, they're highly viable forms of communication. Mm. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean that's why it's a part of human nature. It's like we were not supposed to just be limited to words and and writing. It was it was always the whole thing: visual spectrum, the audio spectrum, and the sensory spectrum. You know, touch and all these things. Yeah, so, I wonder if it has something to do with we want to see each other. So we talk about our feelings, you know, but then we also have these these other skills where maybe mm. we'll play like a piano song and like pour mm. our emotions and thoughts and feel, and then we'll send it to a girl, yeah, you know, or write out in poetry <laughs> or you know, paint up something. Yeah, but I mean, but ultimately, it, it probably winds back of just some other yes. translation or interpretation to be seen. Yeah, yeah. All modalities, you know, these things are there for when words aren't enough, and that's what music and sound in particular is just for me the most powerful. Yeah, it's a way to talk about the things you can't talk about, yeah, the ineffable, yeah. the mystery. It's, I mean, Particularly <laughs> instrumental music. <laughs> Eric well. Davis said, the mystery has no edge. And I love that phrase because that's what music and art is able to do is is dance around that edge. You yeah. know, it's, and it's, it's the, you know, the mystery itself, this non-duality, you can never just put your finger on it. That's the point. Mm. The mystery has this great way of like encompassing that whole thing. And mm. you know it through feeling, not by ideas. And that's music's just such a great mechanism that way. And then if you're a person that's able to create some type of translation to like to be seen in a deeper way, other people are able to to also process that. And I think they reciprocally can can feel that. Well, yeah, because like you said, we're all human beings. We all feel this. You know, that's what's so cool about music too. Is like we all respond to it almost universally. Yeah, shit's deep. Indeed. <laughs> Good concluding note. <laughs> Notes on the meeting. Shit's uh, deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank That's you the guys. title of the podcast, <laughs> Shit's Deep. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That was great. Really uh, thanks, brother. I, yeah. I, I appreciate this. Yeah. And so, and the Ram Dass album is, I've listened to literally hundreds of, of hours of that. I know yeah, it's, you're not promoting to, it right Yeah, shout out to Ram Dass. I mean, that's where all this was born from and him That's saying, where I was introduced to you. Ram Dass yeah. has been someone that I've listened to like thousands and thousands of hours. I, I listen to him almost every night before going to bed. Oh, I turn yeah, on like I mean, auto timer thing. He's been one of the most inspirational characters in my life. Well, this talk that's featured in Sit Around the Fire, that song is from 1975. And I had only used Ram Dass talks from present time when we met up. I had never taken a dive into the, his catalog. And this was a really special one. Like he's just really, really tapped in in a heart-centered space. So it's one of the best I've ever heard of, of, his, of the energy of his talk. Yeah. You know? As soon as you hear that first line. Yeah. yeah. He's, it's, yeah. Go here, sit around the fire. If you haven't heard, watch the video on YouTube. So, yeah. All right. You'll be grateful. Take, take the eight minutes or, mm. or nine minutes and just give a little space for it. It's mm. cool. my prescription. East demands attention. <laughs> invites. <laughs> invites. So we're not victims of the music. Of my, my victims. Don't be my victims. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate cool. this. Thanks, man. We're all hungry. Pleasure. Time to go down. Thank you all yeah. for tuning in. And uh, that's it. That's all. Over now. Thank you all so much for tuning into that podcast. Before we go, I want to share a review. I so greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews on iTunes or wherever you leave your reviews. This one comes from Michael Unbroken and it goes like this great podcast exclamation point. I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for creating such an impactful podcast. I believe that we all have a voice that deserves to be heard. Thank you for putting this into the world. That is from Michael Unbroken. I really, really greatly appreciate reading those. It's inspiring, it's supportive, and it also helps the algorithmic gods know people are tuning into this podcast. So if you want to be supportive, share this thing with your friends and maybe leave a review if, you, if you're feeling inspired. And that's it. That's all. Appreciate you so much and look forward to sharing another 
impactful episode next.